so many of you here. I know you for the longest time have said, I wanted to get closer and get to know these people here better, and today is your chance, especially two people next to you that you can get to know really, really well. Uh, we're glad you're here. It's great to see such a, such a full building, and uh, as we've talked about before, we plan to make room and expansion for that in the near future, but we're really glad, glad you're here. Uh, I also know what you're thinking based upon the, the scripture reading this morning. You're, you're thinking, uh, I'm going to die before we ever get out of Mark. Yeah, I'm not going to make it through. Uh, my wife just leaned over and said, are we going to get out chapter one before Christmas? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we're going to go faster. The, the prologue that, that Mark sets out is lengthy and the concepts in uh, this prologue that Mark gives is, is of vital importance uh, for us to be able to understand where this gospel is going. But yes, we will go faster. I'm, I have this crazy idea that we'll finish by the end of the year the whole book. So yeah, I'm usually totally wrong about that, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, what we've seen so far in this prologue, this great introduction about who Jesus is, is we're noticing that Mark is saying that this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Son of God, that He is the Christ, the Anointed One, just as Isaiah prophesied, just as Isaiah had written about before. And Jesus has now been presented to us as the Lord who is coming so that the people need to prepare the way for His arrival. That John, uh, that Mark has, per, has shown to us and presented to us John, declaring Jesus as the Mighty One who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. And then we see this picture then in the baptism of Jesus that here is your enthroned king. He is this coronation ceremony that he is your king who has come, who is, who is here to rule. That we hear the voice from heaven, the Father saying, this is my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And again, indicating who this person is. And then finally, as we looked at last week, the picture of Jesus in the wilderness conquering Satan and conquering sin, fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah, that He has come to bring salvation and peace. And that brings us to these final two verses of of this prologue in verses 14 and 15. And in these two verses, we are seeing a, a picture of what Jesus' ministry is going to look like, what He is going to proclaim to all around Him in His lifetime that He is on the earth. And you'll notice how it keys off as he begins to describe Jesus' ministry in verse 14, where it opens up by saying, now, John, after John was arrested. And you go, okay. Uh, interesting. After John was arrested, and, and most of the translations read that way, the idea is, is actually a little bit more than that, that it speaks of after John was handed over, after John had been delivered up. And of course the meaning of that is his arrest. But the reason why the, the, the wording of being handed up, handed over or delivered up is particularly interesting in John's Gospel because he will use that phrase four other times and describe that about Jesus. That later on in Jesus' life, He is going to be handed over. That He is going to be delivered up. Which what then Mark does in starting this gospel and ending this prologue section is pointing out 
Yes, John the baptizer is a forerunner of Jesus in proclaiming the message. Here is the one who is to come who is mightier than I. But not only that, that John is a forerunner in fate. John not only leads the way in proclaiming the arrival of Jesus as Lord, but John is also the forerunner of how it is going to go for Jesus. That John is now handed over, and it will be in a few chapters that we will see his execution. And the point that is being laid out is that just as John is going to have conflict with the earthly authorities and then suffers a brutal death, that is going to be the way that Jesus is going to go. And so the events that are being talked about in about John set up a scene of what is going to take place in regards to Jesus as well. I want you to notice as well in verse 14 that the way Mark shows us this is a picture that this is the beginning point of Jesus' ministry. Verse 14, now after John was delivered up or handed over or arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. The image is that John's role is done. John has run his race and completed his course. He has proclaimed Jesus to be the one, the Lord, the Messiah, the reigning King. And once he now is handed over to the authorities, this becomes the beginning point of Jesus' ministry. Now Jesus now comes on the scene. He now moves into Galilee. And now He is going to begin His proclamation. He is going to begin His ministry. And I think in a very subtle way, John is, Mark is saying, John did what John was supposed to do. It's time for John to be moving off the scene. His role is completed. He pointed the way for him to come. And now Jesus arrives on the scene and the ministry begins. Verse 14, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Proclaiming the good news of God. This is the content of Jesus' message. As Jesus comes into Galilee, here's what he's proclaiming. The good news of God. The gospel of God. Now, it's important that we take a step back and remember, what is the gospel? We started back there in Mark 1 verse 1, which I know was four years ago. I'm getting all your jokes. I got it. (laughs) The gospel is really important in what's being proclaimed in regards to what Jesus is saying to the people. What is that message? What's the contents? Remember, we went back to Isaiah where Isaiah prophesied that the proclamation of the good news was your God reigns. That's what Isaiah says. Is that this is the proclamation of this great news to the world that God reigns. In chapter 40, verses 9 and 10, to herald the good news, what's the message? Behold your God is the message of the good news. And so here are these pictures of what it looks like in regards to the gospel in Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. The spirit of the Lord is upon him. And what is he proclaiming? He's proclaiming the message of freedom and salvation, setting the people free and light to the people. So again, this image of the gospel is the arrival of God who is going to come in strength and bring peace and bring salvation. And what Jesus then is doing is he is going around Galilee and he's proclaiming that good news. 
The message of the Scriptures, the message of the prophets, is that your God reigns. That your God has come. Behold your God who has come to bring freedom. To set you free from sin. To bring you light. To give you all the hope that God has promised. Here is Jesus saying, that's the proclamation. And then notice the very next words in verse 15. And saying, the time is fulfilled. Now's the time. He's preaching the good news is now. He is going through Galilee and saying, Your God reigns. Behold your God. He comes and brings salvation and peace and freedom from sin. And had been preaching that message, the words right behind it are, The time is fulfilled. The time is now. Now is that time. If we were to use Galatians 4 and verse 4, it's the fullness of time. This is what everything has been pointing to. When we read the prophecies of Jeremiah, what did he say? There's going to be a new covenant that's going to come and he's going to forgive the sins and the iniquities and the transgressions of the people. You have Amos proclaiming there's going to be a new kingdom that's going to come, rebuilding the broken tabernacle of David. You have Ezekiel, he's going to prophesy and say, I'm going to have a new people who are going to have a new heart and they're going to have new life and they are going to be what God has called them to be. What Jesus is walking around saying is this is it. This is it. Your King has come. The arrival of the King is here. The time is fulfilled. The message of the good news of the proclamation of God's reign who comes to the people and brings salvation and deliverance and hope and peace is now. Can you imagine just being there in Galilee and seeing this fellow coming in and that's what he's proclaiming? That's what he's saying. This is it. This is that very good news. In getting the idea of that, notice what he says is in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Or some translations will read, the kingdom of God has come near. It's important to get an idea of exactly what Jesus is saying here. Is that the idea of this, and I like the the second reading that kind of helps us in our minds a little bit better, is that the wording under this is not in regards to time, but it's in regards to location. What Jesus is not doing is coming and saying, Now John the baptizer came and said, the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. And then Jesus comes in right behind him and says, the kingdom of heaven is coming soon. Uh, that's, That's duplicitous in the message. That's not the idea. The wording is that of space, that it is come near. And that makes sense to the idea of what Jesus is doing. Is here is the, is Mark setting up that Jesus is the King. The baptism scene shows this coronation image. The message of the gospel is your God reigns. Your God has come. And then the first words are the time is fulfilled and your King is here. And it doesn't make any sense to then turn around and say, but I'm a King with no kingdom. Just keep waiting for it. It's not the idea. That's not what he's proclaiming. He's proclaiming it in a spatial idea. The kingdom has come near. 
Your king is here and the arrival of the kingdom is here. Now we understand that that's not the whole picture that, okay, boom, here it is. It's all set up. It's all laid out. Here you go. In fact, Mark a little bit later on is going to record the words of Jesus saying, there's going to be some who are standing here who are not going to taste death till they see the kingdom come with power. There's more to it than just simply I'm here. It's going to keep coming. There's going to be this process of the kingdom that's coming, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So I want us to see that there is this idea of it is arriving and there are more steps to it that are coming. Jesus' message looks like this. Your wait is over. Your king has arrived. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom is coming with Him. He is going to establish these things. And your hope then needs to be in Him because He is King with the kingdom. Now let me take a step back because I think this is going to be an important piece of the puzzle for us to work on for a minute. If you're like me and you grew up in the pews, you might have heard this teaching. The kingdom always refers to the church. Am I the only one that grew up on that one? <laughs> kingdom always, whenever you read kingdom, always read church. Now, that is inaccurate in every way. Now, it doesn't take much going through the New Testament to find how flawed that is. And that's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is not saying... Here is the good news of God. The time is at hand. The time is fulfilled. The church is at hand. Well, he's not talking about the church here. He's talking about his rule. He's talking about his reign. He's not talking about the people who are going to belong to that kingdom yet. He is talking about a proclamation of the establishment of his rule. I have come to rule. I am reigning. I am the king. And I have come with a kingdom. That's the whole idea of what this message is about, is proclaiming the rule of God. That's what Isaiah's prophecies were all about, is that very message. What did Isaiah say the gospel is? Your God reigns. I hope I can emblazon that into our minds. When we think of a king and a kingdom and what prophecies were spoken about the good news, it was your God reigns. The reign of God. And so Jesus, I've come to rule that God has come down and that therefore the kingdom has come with you. And the reason why that is then useful is think about what the gospel of Mark has done. We've gone slowly through this prologue so that we can see a picture of how this kingdom is coming about. Notice what Mark has done. He opened the gospel by saying, the scripture is fulfilled, and then we turn our attention to John. Elijah has returned, right? We saw him with his garments, what he's eating, what he's proclaiming. He is the Elijah that the Old Testament described of his coming. And so the scriptures are fulfilled, 
the Elijah that was prophesied has returned. We saw in this baptism scene, the heavens are being torn open, the image of God Himself coming into the space of earth, the heavens torn apart. God speaks, the Spirit descends, Jesus passes this test in the, in, the, in the temptation scene, giving victory then over Satan and peace is being brought to all peoples as emblematic of the wild beasts. Now why does Mark do all that? Why do you set up this very complicated, okay, the scriptures are fulfilled, Elijah has come, the heavens are torn open, God is speaking, the Spirit descends, Jesus goes to temptation and He is victorious over the temptation, He's victorious over Satan, and the wild beasts don't touch Him. What are you saying? The arrival of Jesus means the arrival of the kingdom. Here He is. Your King has come. He is stepping onto the plane. And he is now standing there before them and saying, this is who I am. And because I've come, your salvation has come. What is very difficult, not only for us, but I think was difficult for most readers of scriptures today, for the Jews in the first century, and even throughout time, is understanding that the process of the kingdom of God coming was a beginning point with the arrival of the king, but there's then this process that was going to take place. The scriptures are describing that it wasn't just all just going to dump in at one single moment in time. But there is a process that was going on that God was going to accomplish through Jesus as He brings about this kingdom. And I think that's what's so interesting is How many times will you read a passage about the kingdom, Old Testament or New Testament, and in some ways, one time it'll sound like a present reality, and then it'll talk about like a future hope. You know, we're presently in the kingdom, and yet we'll read things about what the kingdom is going to do in the future. And you have this dynamic of here is the kingdom and it's coming, but it's coming in process. In fact, one of the things you see in the, in the scriptures and in, in the Old Testament is this future hope of the destruction of the enemies and the vindication of God's people. There are lots and lots of pictures in Isaiah and Daniel and describing the vindication of God's people and the destroying of the enemies. In fact... Is that not in part one of the reasons why Jesus is rejected as king by the Jews? Because they are looking at him and saying, then destroy the enemies and vindicate us. Let's see it. I think that's exactly what his brothers are saying in the Gospel of John. Well, go to Jerusalem and show yourself. Let's do this. Overthrow them. And people rejected him because he goes around saying, well, no, that's not how that's going to work. My kingdom's not of this world and things like that. The people are looking at these prophecies and saying it should happen all right now at this one single moment. But the scriptures are describing the kingdom as a process. That it was arrival was going to be the conquering of people by the gospel, not with weapons of physical warfare. The kingdom wasn't going to come and now everybody get a sword and let's go. His kingdom is here. It's not it. Boy, historically, a lot of people thought that's what that's supposed to look like. 
But it would be the proclamation of the good news in conquering people's hearts to bring them to God. And I want you to think about what that process looked like over and over again. When you come into Acts 2 and we see this arrival of the kingdom there in Acts 2, and remember what Peter is preaching. This that you it has been poured out which you see and hear was evidence of what? Jesus on the throne. Kingdoms arrived. He's the king and there's a kingdom. But remember one of the things that Jesus told Caiaphas? After you have Caiaphas saying, you know, we have no need for any other witnesses. He's blasphemed against God. Are you really the son of God? And Jesus is saying, I am. But you remember what else he says there? You're going to see me coming in the clouds with power. Well, he was just going to leave a few days later. What's he saying? destruction of the Jewish nation is is going to come. You're going to see that I'm the king. And keep in mind what Daniel 7 prophesied. What else was going to show the kingdom? Remember this grand statue in Daniel 2 and here's all these nations, Babylon, Persia and Greece and Rome and in the days of that fourth one, what's going to happen? Stone is going to hit it and a kingdom is going to build out of that. Part of the process of the kingdom is the destruction of the Roman Empire was going to be a process. In fact, when we go over to 1 Corinthians 15, what does it say about this process? He will continue to reign until all the enemies are put under His feet. The final one being death. What you are seeing is Jesus coming on the scene and saying, I am your King who has brought the kingdom and now you are going to watch it visibly unfold. Acts 2, fall of Jerusalem, fall of the Roman Empire. This is the coming of the kingdom. And I understand why we had the teaching the way it was. Because there is a strong teaching that says Christ came to bring His kingdom. And when He saw that nobody wanted a part of that kingdom, He changed the message and He no longer proclaimed the kingdom. He proclaimed the church and then one day He's going to come back and in the second coming He's going to establish His kingdom. And see, the reason why that teaching came about is because you read prophecies like Daniel and Isaiah and others that say, well, all the enemies are going to be destroyed. And all the nations are going to bow the knee. And God's people are going to be vindicated. And they look around and go, well, I don't see that. So that must not have happened. It must be way out there in the future. What are you missing? You're missing the process. And Jesus was saying, the time is now. Your king has arrived. And Acts 2 is going to show a greater establishment of that kingdom. And when Jerusalem falls, it's yet another establishment of that kingdom, asserting rule over a wicked nation. And when Rome falls, it's the assertion of God's kingdom over yet another nation. And that just keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening. As God still reigns now, and as nations fall, God reigns. Jesus is on the throne, reigning as king, putting all the enemies under his feet. And all that's happening here in Mark's Gospel is laying out, this is the beginning. He is your King. And He is establishing His rule 
over all peoples, over all nations. Whatever the situation is, he establishes himself as king. And any who will not bow the knee, they are going to receive judgment. And thus, that's the very message Peter proclaims in Acts 2. What's he telling them? That's why he quotes Joel 2, right? That you need to believe in this message. And that you need to call the name of the Lord before the great and awesome, terrifying day of the Lord comes. Because your king is on the throne. Because your king is reigning. And so notice what goes with that message in verse 15. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the critical point of the message, and this is why the prologue ends with this declaration. You do not go about proclaiming somebody to be king and then say to them, would you please accept him as your king? We're in a very Western democratic idea. You know, that we all have a say. If somebody is king over a kingdom, over a realm, a territory, a rule, the people do not take a vote and go, well, I don't know if I want him to be my king. It doesn't work like that. There's not the question of, now please accept him as your king. That doesn't happen. With the declaration of Jesus as king, he is king regardless of your feelings, regardless of your decision. It doesn't matter what you think about him. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. He's the king. That's what those first 15 verses are setting up. This is the arrival of the king. And this gospel is not going to be asking you, now what do you think about that? Let's just take a poll. Oh, I think that sounds good. That's not it. It is a statement that he is the king. And then the proclamation is not, will you please accept him as your king? The proclamation is the demand for submission. If he's the king, there is only one implication. Our submission to him. It is interesting how we have lost sight of that meaning. I found that humorous in our last election. (laughs) Half of our country apparently loved the election and half of them hated the election. And you had people say, he's not my president. Yeah, he is. You don't have a say in that anymore. And that's the idea with Jesus. He's the king. You don't have a say in it. You don't get to go, well, I'm not in favor of that. Well, that's the way it is. And that's where we are before our king. We do not have the opportunity to come before Jesus and say, well, here are my terms. And, you know, if you will do X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C, and 1, 2, 3, then I will accept you as my king. This is how Christianity is presented anymore. You know, what would you like your Jesus to be? We'll try to offer it somehow. You know, let's all 
write down our favorites. Here's what we would like this church to be and do. You know, we'll all, t- you know, and we'll, you know, we'll put it all together. And, you know, yay. Okay, now we all like Jesus. Please put your mind in the idea of kingship. He's the king. What's the only response? Submit to him. He's established himself as king. And the movement of the gospel of Mark is to show what it means to be a disciple. What it looks like to follow this king. What it looks like to submit to Because it's not about us being on our terms saying, now here's what I think Jesus should say and do, and here's what I like and don't like, and I'm all about these policies, Lord, but not these policies. Could you, you know, lighten up on these and we'll be harsh on these? We don't get the say. We enter into the gospel looking at here are the terms of the king. And this is why this image of the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. This is the picture. Because everything in our lives now must come under the rule of King Jesus. That's the declaration of the gospel. We are very much into the tangible benefits of the gospel. Forgiven of sins, we're all going to heaven. We all like what the outcome is going to be, but we're not very thrilled often with the idea of, do you know how we get to that outcome? Everything comes under submission to the king. That's how we get to that outcome. In fact, I believe what Mark is doing before we can go anywhere in this gospel is trying to show the audience, trying to show us, trying to show all who would read it that the starting point of submission to the king is repenting and believing the gospel message. Jesus walks into Galilee and says, repent and believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? Your God reigns. Repent and believe in the gospel. And belief is not some kind of acceptance. Okay, I believe Jesus is true who actually lived some 2,000 years ago and I mentally accept that he's king. That's not what he's talking about. He's not asking for a bunch of people to have a mental acknowledgement and verbal words of, okay, I think you're king. (laughs) Why does he need that? He is the king. He doesn't need our verbal consent. What it means to believe that your God reigns is complete submission to the king. That's what it looks like. It is a call for that all people to cut loose from all of the ties and things that they entrust in their lives, things that they value most, and to entrust their life to Jesus. You might recall, and we're going to see it a lot as we study this gospel, all the things that people entrusted their lives to in Jesus' day. You'll see that they entrusted themselves like to their ancestry. You know, we're, we're Israel. We're children of Abraham. That, that's what we put our hope in. You'll see people who will put trust in their land. Hey, we're Israel. We live in the land. So, so you can't come in here and tell us that. 
Jesus come in there and make proclamations and they said, well, we have a temple. Who do you think you are to say you're a temple and you can destroy this and raise it up in three days? We, we have hope in the temple. You're going to see that over and over again that they trust in their laws. Well, we tithe and we do all these little things and we wash our hands and so that shows that everything's fine. And the whole point of what Mark is going to do is to show us the concept of discipleship is a picture of the cutting of the ties to which you entrust your life and you think that are so valuable. And to submit then to Jesus as the enthroned king. And for us, it is the same declaration. For us to believe that Jesus is the king who has come to bring salvation and freedom. Who has come as the ruler of heaven and earth. Who has come to set the captives free. To be everything that those scriptures have pictured for us. Means that we can no longer trust in ourselves. We cannot trust in our wealth, in our might, in our careers, in our wisdom, in our knowledge, in our abilities, in our families, in anything that we prize and say, but what about this? We are submitting to the king and what does that look like? But the cutting of all ties and bowing the knee before him. I'm excited. I wish I want to. I want to preach 16 through 20 so bad right now. It's going to be a while, but that very next paragraph fits exactly what this is doing right here. It is the cutting of all ties and following this king. It is so important for us to recognize that this prologue is presenting Jesus as king who rules over all peoples, all nations, and all places. And we must submit to His rule and follow His ways. It is a turning of our allegiance completely away from the world and completely to Jesus. If we truly understand and truly believe and truly confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Lord, that He is our Master, and He is our King. If we truly believe it, there is only one outcome. Complete submission to the King. There's only one outcome. Isn't it amazing how Mark wants to just set you up like that? We haven't read anything about Jesus' teachings except, I'm the king. What will you do with that message? Will you believe that he came, he died, and he rose again, proving his kingship, proving his rule, establishing his throne, and calling for all people, to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom by submitting the knee now. You ever thought about how Philippians 2 talks about at the end of it all what's going to happen? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Master. He, every, he said every knee is going to do it and every tongue is going to confess it. You just have an option right now. God was kind and gave you an option. You can either do it against your will on the day of judgment and be cast into eternal punishment. But you'll bend the knee. Now one day we will all be standing before the judgment seat of Christ and then we will be quickly on the ground. Or you can voluntarily bow the knee now to the king. And by submitting to the rule of the king, enjoy all the benefits of a glorious heavenly king to be children of God, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, But most important, lest we ever forget it, to be in the presence of God for all eternity. Submit to the King. If you're ready to do that, won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?